Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, moving out of Paul's admonishing and instruction to the church as far as conduct, but moving into, especially starting next week, but Paul gets wound up starting this week, moving into theological instruction for the church. Like, I've dealt with your conduct, but you guys have some things that we've got to clarify among you, and he's going to exposed to us in his writing those things which they needed help with. There was severe misunderstanding or lack of acknowledging the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul has admonished their conduct in the world as inappropriate for Christians. He has admonished their conduct in the church as inappropriate for Christians. He has set forth order for when they come together as a church, both in the Lord's Supper and in the gifts that they exercise, how those things work together, how they come together in worship. He's laid out all of that order. And now, moving into chapter 15, he is going to tackle the linchpin of our faith. It is, it is that significant. We're not talking about, you know, people have debates on all sorts of biblical matters. This is not one of them. Okay, I want to rephrase that. This is one of them. If this is one of them that we disagree on, we do not have the same faith. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is at the epicenter of our faith. Without the resurrection, our faith falls apart. Paul literally will say, if not for the resurrection, we are to be pitied among all men, but Christ indeed has risen. So um, that's what he's going to tackle throughout the, the bulk of, in fact, what is it, 58 verses long, chapter 15 is 58 verses, and minus the first 11, so 47 verses in chapter 15 are devoted to the topic of Christ and the resurrection. With that comes numerous extremely substantial points that Paul brings up that we will glance at and look at as the scripture bring them to us. I was mindful as I prayed through and was preparing for this week, a preacher in the early 1800s who I, I, I like this guy, it's got, he's, his story is, I don't know, it's just gripping to me. Coincidentally, he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on the day our twins were born, April 4th. That was significant to me, so it stood out to me. Uh, he came to faith through contemplating the Lord's Supper as he was preparing to approach Communion Sunday, they were offering it, and he thought, I have no right to take this. And in the privacy of his own room, God met with him and changed his life and made him a preacher in one place for 38 or 40 or something years in one pulpit, in one church, where the people would, okay, so it's back in the days with wooden rows, and there were little doors at the end of the pews. Like, none of us know what this means, because we didn't grow up with this ancient architectural masterpieces rows in the church and wooden pews with gates at the end and the members of the church would come and would lock the rows of their pews so that no one could sit down while this man preached the Bible. Then after that didn't work, they were locking the doors and so he was breaking the doors open. So and then they wanted the assistant to preach, not this man after having called him to be his preacher. And he persevered in that church for... I, at least 40 years, I believe, if not even maybe 50 years. His name was Charles Simeon. And I just gripped by his story. I just like reading about him. 
It says he never sought to take out from the scripture that which the Holy Spirit did not put into the scripture. So as scripture comes to us, we will tackle the things it brings. This morning we are talking about the gospel, titled the sermon, The Gospel as Foundational. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Would you read with me? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Heavenly Father, help us this morning as we go through your word, as we examine the scripture, as we look to understand the foundation of the gospel in our life. Help us to understand. Prepare our hearts, God, for the weeks to come as we work through the rest of this chapter And we work on so many things that perhaps we don't give enough time thinking about, but instruct us, teach us as a church, draw us closer together in our fellowship with one another through the instruction of your word. God, I pray that your word would be proclaimed faithfully here. Help me. I know that I am incapable in my flesh, so I appeal to you, God. Speak to me as you speak through me in this moment. In Christ's name, amen. The gospel as foundational. Paul begins here, the whole chapter, as I've said, is going to deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but before he can get to the resurrection, he's got to deal with why the resurrection happened. So he has to start with the gospel. He doesn't just start with the resurrection, he starts with the gospel, and you can see the shift in words in 15 verse 1, now I would remind you, brothers, he's moving on, this is a change. Interesting, however, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, that... That phrase coming on the heels of everything he has said. Let's just for a moment consider everything that's been said, and we can't consider everything in a moment, so that's kind of a futile mission. But think of where 1 Corinthians starts. You're divided, you're following people, you're following favorites, you're, you have sin in the church, you're not dealing with it, you're not, your conduct in the world is not right because you're living like pagans, but you're saying you're Christians. All these things, all the way through, even into... You're exercising your gifts or stifling one another. You're not preferring one another. You're not observing the Lord's Supper in a holy way. Your worship is a disorderly disaster. All of these words, and then he says, now I would remind you of the gospel. I hope that God uses me to never allow Christians to forget the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am afraid that in far too many places the gospel is simply a once I believed and I'm good now, this message is now for someone else. True, this message is now for someone else and still for you. And he says that right here. Before he can move on to the resurrection, he reminds them of the foundation that he is going to build his instruction on. That's the gospel. 
This is how they came, indeed, how anyone comes to the gospel. Look what he says. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Paul sometimes will say, my gospel. People have been distracted in Scripture when it says Paul's gospel. What did Paul proclaim? He tells us in verse 3 and 4. If we're paying attention, Paul lays out the gospel not as his own. I preached the gospel. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Is that different than what Peter preached or different than what James preached or different than what Christ told them to preach? No, it all coincides with one another. I preached. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The gospel preached. This is a point that in modern day I don't know if I want to use the big word evangelicalism. That's been ruined by the media and politics. Let's just leave it at Christianity. The message of the gospel needing to be preached, even when I was a young person, it was very popular to say, always preach the gospel and sometimes use words. Raise your hand if you've heard that statement before. Okay, so a few of us, not all of us, but several of us in the room. Always preach the gospel and sometimes use words, which is a great intended thought, but it's going toward make sure that your conduct is so that people see the gospel in you and don't worry about what you say. But that's not what the Bible instructs us to do. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I lived out among you, that I showed you by my life among you. Did Paul exemplify the gospel to the Corinthian church? You betcha. Absolutely, he modeled the gospel to them. But he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This is important. The gospel I preached to you, one, it's not his gospel, as we'll look at at a a later point. It's not his gospel, the gospel I preached to you. He used words. The point that I put down on this, the gospel preached, it is foundational, and there are things that we need to understand about it. The gospel is to be preached Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Christ says, go and preach the gospel to the whole creation. The gospel is to be preached. I wrote this down. It is the king's word proclaimed by the king's people at the king's command. The gospel is the king's word proclaimed by the king's people at the king's command. It's not something that we do of our own. It's not something that we think of to do. If we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the King, Jesus Christ, has commissioned us as his people. This is my message. Go and tell it. The gospel preached. The gospel must have words attached to it. The gospel is not figurative. The gospel is not up to someone's own interpretation. Peter would tell us about all the prophecy of Scripture. It's not up to us. We don't get to make up the gospel. If you're paying attention in the world today, plenty of people are making up the gospel. When we come to grips with what the reality of the gospel is, we can see all of the distorted, watered-down versions in the world, and no one's doing this one. Why? Well, look around. It's not like this place is bursting at the seams because we open God's Word and preach the gospel. It's not an attractive message. It's not a popular message. It's a message that tells you, you're a sinner, there's a holy God, you're condemned before him. If you don't repent and through faith in Christ turn to him, you will suffer the wrath of God for eternity. Merry Christmas, everyone, by the way. Like, that's not popular with anyone, but that is the message of the gospel. 
There is wrath coming. There is judgment coming. And we as Christians have been commissioned as the king's people by the king with the king's message to preach the gospel. You are commissioned to do that individually in your life. We are commissioned to do that collectively as a church. The king has commanded that his people will preach the gospel. I love how Christ says in Luke 24, all of scripture points to him. What is the gospel? It can be really complex. Paul shows us the simplicity. Like Paul himself can be complex. There are times when I read and Peter literally says, the Bible literally says, uh, Brother Paul writes some things and a lot of them are really hard to understand. I don't know, he's super smart and I was a fisherman and now I preach about Jesus. So <laughs> take him for what, for what it's worth. Peter says that. Sometimes Paul writes things that are really hard to understand, but sometimes Paul writes things that are so simple. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised according to the scripture. He appeared. You want to know how to share the gospel with your family this holiday season as you're in gatherings? and Like right there, write those notes down. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried, he was raised according to the scripture, he appeared to many, he's returning. The gospel. Now we can rabbit trail on so many, and people today love to do it. You know, Pastor Nobody likes to talk about this. Oh yeah, they do. Sinners love to talk about this stuff. The world loves to talk about this stuff. But they hate it. They want to talk about it, they just don't want to receive it. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached. Are you preaching the gospel? Is your life preaching the gospel? Is your mouth preaching the gospel? The gospel I preached. The gospel which you received, Paul says. Second point, the gospel is foundational. It's foundational for the life of Christians. The gospel is to be preached. The gospel is to be received. It is understood, do you understand? The gospel is not so complex that the mind cannot grasp it. Now, can the heart do anything? No, the Holy Spirit works on the heart. We acknowledge through faith what Christ has done. We are saved through faith, but the mind can grasp the simplicity of the gospel. Atheists can look at it and say, wow, this is really simple. This is easy to understand. I understand what this means. Like As, as far as a formulaic equation is concerned, there was a problem, sin. There was a need for that sin to be made right. Jesus, Jesus died, he rose again. Like this logically even simply makes sense, but I don't believe it, right? Understand that difference. This makes sense, but I don't believe it. The gospel preached, he says to them, in which you received. It is not confusing. We see this language elsewhere too. Actually, in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, following Peter's great preaching on the day of Pentecost, they said, brothers, what must we do? He says, repent and believe the gospel. And it says that those who received his words. What does this mean? Well, there are kids in the room today, not as many as normal, but there are a lot of them here. And there are some of them that are not receiving the words that I am saying because their brain has not developed to the point of receiving those words. They're hearing them. They can understand that I am saying words, but the reception of the information. This is why you can look at children sometimes and say, no, don't do that. Why? They're still logically working up to, why shouldn't I do it? We know why they shouldn't do it. They don't. That's why we intervene. Don't do that. The gospel is received. It is understood. It is not complicated it is not confusing. 
Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul comes to Berea. And the Bible says that the men there were more noble, and I, I think it even uses the word more spiritual, than the Thessalonians. For they received Paul's words with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if what he said was true, says they received his words. The Bereans heard, understood what Paul had conveyed to them, understood it, and then sought out, is this truth? The gospel is preached. The gospel is received. Or it is not. Biblically, when we see the words received and any form of the gospel being communicated, we are talking about someone who has come to faith, received the gospel. Acts chapter 2, they received Peter's word, believed, and were baptized. The gospel is preached. The gospel is received. The gospel is that in which we stand. Look what he says. The gospel I preached, which you received, in which you stand. This is the point that Christians need to really draw on. The gospel is not, I did once. The gospel is, I do now. I am obeying now. I am following now. I am being saved. He literally goes on to say, by which you are being saved. I am being saved by this gospel as I stand in it. It is the anchor. It is the hope. It is what we cast our belief on, the gospel. It is what we stand on. When everything else around is falling down, we are standing on the gospel, which is likened throughout the word to a rock, solidly standing on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. The gospel which I preached, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. I wrote down, currently and eternally. I think we miss it sometimes. I think I miss it sometimes. I'm saved. When, when we use the words, I am saved, when you ask the words, are you saved, you are pointing to a one point in time this thing happened, and that person or yourself, you may have dropped sanctification off a long time ago. But those who are being saved are being sanctified. No one who is saved remains unsanctified. What does that mean? Big word, sanctified. What does it mean? That means that the Spirit is rooting out sin in your life. Maybe that happens through the exhortation of a preacher. Maybe that happens in a small group through exhortation of people around you. But the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, removes it from you, and purifies your life to follow God in a more holy way. No person who is truly saved is left unsanctified. But not every person who is truly saved is sanctified to our expectation at the snap of a finger. Sanctification is a process. Sanctification takes time and work. Sometimes once the Holy Spirit points out or convicts me of sin, God and I go to tussling with one another over, I don't want to let go of that. And he says, you're going to. I don't want to, though, but you're going to. And God comes to bear like you. If you've ever been in this place, you know what this is. When God brings the full weight of his hand on your sin, you're like, I quit, I quit, I quit. I will no longer. You repent of it and you leave it. That happens for those who are, who are actually truly saved, who the gospel is preached to, the gospel was received, the gospel is being stood upon, standing in. You are being saved currently. There is change happening in your life and eternally. 
it's great because currently we're not going to be perfect. Maybe we could all take an oath. I promise I won't try to be perfect. Because you're not going to be. You're going to fail. You're not going to be perfect. We are going to be sanctified, but you're not going to be perfect until the gospel comes to us fully. When Christ calls us home. Currently being saved, eternally saved. This is that tension that I've talked about before with the phrase already and not yet. We're currently being saved and we are eternally saved. So can we say, I am saved? Yes, eternally saved from the wrath of God. But when we walk around in this life saying, I am saved, and then our actions don't match it, we become hypocrites to the world. So do you understand now the very important thought behind saying, I'm saved? And your actions to the world around you. I am being, man, I wish, I wish that we could like, I wish we could wipe, I wish I had one of those things like in uh, that movie, it's that thing, like to hit the thing and like the memories wiped you, all know what I'm talking about, and memories just go, I wish we could do that and start over and all of us could just start saying to everyone, I am being saved. Harry, are you a Christian? I am, I'm being saved. Even you're being saved. Oh man, I'm a wreck. Just imagine if, we were, if, we were, if our witness was open and honest with people that way. Imagine the difference in our testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. The world expects us to act like arrogant jerks. That Christian's bah, holier than thou, bah. Like, right? That's what the world expects. And imagine if your witness was like, hey, are you a Christian? I'm being saved because, man, I'm a wreck. And God's mercies are new every morning, and I'm thankful for that. Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you hear the difference in that? And do you believe in God? Not a bad question, but the doors that were just opened with, I'm a wreck. Like, I don't have to deal with you being a wreck. You are, but so am I. And I am being saved because of the gospel that was preached, because of the gospel that was received, because of the gospel I stand in. And that gospel comes with a warning. Look at the end of verse 2. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I mean, we all have probably been, or we probably know, those who have professed something and not been what they claimed. That was vain belief. Paul's literally saying, unless you believed without believing. See, in Scripture, those who put on a front, put on airs. We see it in the church. People come in and they look so strong and look so solid and look so healthy and the next thing you know they're gone and the next thing you know they're in sin. Where in the world? Their belief was in vain. The gospel comes with a warning. Gospel preached, gospel received, gospel in which you stand and are being saved if you have truly believed. Christ says in Matthew 7, many will say to me, Lord, did we not do and I will say to them, I never knew you. It is possible to act like a believer and not be one. The gospel is the fountainhead from which the Christian life flows. Second point, the gospel is specific news from God regarding his redemptive plan for man. The gospel is specific news from God regarding his redemptive plan for man. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance, look what he says, what I also received. Paul is saying this in two ways. One, what was given to me. Two, what I understood and have believed. One, what was given to me. Two, what I have understood and believed. 
Remember that in Acts chapter 9, Saul, persecutor of the church, is converted on the road to drag Christians out, blinding light, knock down blind. Saul, get up, go into the city. A man will pray for you, receive your sight. You're going to do my work now. Acts chapter 13, Saul becomes known as Paul. Acts chapter 26, he gives us his testimony. But the greatest look that Paul's receiving the gospel comes from the book of Galatians. You flip over there with me. Corinthians, we're in 1 Corinthians, so 2 Corinthians, Galatians. It's that quick. Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> Look at verse 11. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, look at this, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. If you ever run up against a super spiritual, super nerdy, super, I'm so educated in the scripture that I think Paul's gospel was something different than Christ's gospel, and this happens, I've been challenged in this church by someone who said, Paul's gospel is different from the others. To which I said, no, good day to you. Like, Paul's gospel is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not different. And he says, man's not man's gospel. What does that mean? The gospel that Paul preached, not man's gospel, means it's not my gospel. Look what he says, verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man. Paul's conversion is dramatic. It is unlike any other conversion story that we have. Nor was I taught it. Right? Like I have, I have learned the gospel over many years of intellectual learning and reading the scripture and praise God through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, bringing life to the knowledge that I had. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus gave the gospel to Paul. Can you imagine? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from the Lord Jesus Christ to Paul. That's what we're talking about. And did you understand that when we share the gospel, it is still the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from the Lord Jesus Christ through you to the person that's being reached? You're not reaching a soul with the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is reaching souls with the gospel through you. Do you understand how much the burden is lifted when you realize that God is doing the work? Man, I've labored trying to do the work and it's exhausting. When I come to the understanding that God is doing the work and I am to be faithful and obedient in the work that God has called me to, preaching the gospel, and God does the rest of the work, it's not that it becomes easy, but it's definitely not the same burden. Delivered as of first importance. Paul says, that which I received, I delivered to you as of first importance. Good news came to Saul, known as Paul, from Jesus Christ. He understood it and he passed it on. Are you preaching the gospel? John wrote to the churches in John, 1 John chapter 1, he wrote, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. He passed it on. Lived with, said that which we've heard, which you've seen, which you've touched, which we've lived with, we're proclaiming to you. They passed on what came to them. The gospel received is to be the gospel shared not from man, from Christ, through man. The gospel. People sometimes ask, what is the gospel? Paul lays it out. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. One, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
two things we have to deal with. One, remember that the Corinthians we've examined did not have God's written word. They did not have the whole of scripture. They had Paul's letter to them and that's all they had. The Corinthian church had what we are reading from Corinthians and that's it. They did not have the gospels written down. They did not yet have the acts of the apostles written down. They did not have Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They did not have all of those things. They had what Paul wrote to them and what he had preached to them when he was living. So when Paul says, according to the scriptures, we can understand their scriptures are our Old Testament prophets, okay? As we read this, when Paul says, according to the scriptures, he's talking about our Old Testament prophets. They're they're Old Testament prophets too, but they just call them the scriptures, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. This is important. When Paul says, according to the scriptures here, what does he say? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What did the scriptures teach? There would be a Messiah. That Messiah would be the savior of the world. Okay? This is a bit, in, this is a bit heavy on the instructional, but you must understand the gospel is specific news from God. When Paul says Christ died according to the scriptures, the scriptures were pointing forward to a Messiah that would be a deliverer. When he says, according to the scriptures, Paul links every messianic prophecy of the Old Testament prophets to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is big information for us. It may be boring to you, but it is absolutely essential that you understand this. When Paul says, according to the scriptures, Christ died, he is saying, Jesus Christ is the Messiah that was to come. It's not that we're still looking for him. Paul, a Jew, who is like, Jesus is not the Messiah. As Saul, he's like, how dare you believe that? There's only one God. Jesus is not God. He is not the eternal son of God. And now when he writes after his conversion saying, according to the scriptures, Christ, he's saying he is the Messiah that we have been looking for. It's incredible because what's happening for my nerd study guy all week long in the scriptures, Paul is doing and demonstrating biblical theology for us. If you want to know how to study the scripture, read how the New Testament writers studied the scripture and how they used it. He's drawing on, according to the scriptures, Christ is the Messiah. He's drawing on all of that Old Testament prophecy. Christ died for our sins. He is seeing the parts that make up the whole. This is why it's important. This is why I don't say just read your Bible anymore. Read your entire Bible. Read the entire thing. I don't care how you do it. There's a new reading plan starting next week for a new year. A bunch of us are going to do it. Others aren't. Make sure that you're reading the whole Bible. I don't care how you do it. Read everything that's in the Bible, not just your pets, not just the topics you enjoy. Read it all. This is what New Testament writers did. Every New Testament writer, which there are not a vast amount of them, they all reference Old Testament scriptures. Where in the world do we get off thinking we don't need to read the Old Testament? We do. The whole thing. Read the whole thing. Christ died for our sin. Christ died. Substitution, more specifically substitutionary atonement, the fact of someone or something dying to atone for the sin of someone else. It is a theme all across all of the Old Testament. And in Luke 24, verse 47, Christ says, all scripture 
speaks to me. This is fascinating. So now you don't just have your pastor telling you to read all of Scripture. You have the Lord Jesus Christ saying, it's all about me. Read and know the whole thing as much as you can. It's all pointing to me. All of Scripture points to Christ. And so in Genesis 3.15, what happens? I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and your seed, he said to the serpent. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And right there, right there is our first glimpse that someone is going to do something for mankind. Then we have a picture of Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar on the mountain. And what happens? A ram is caught in the thicket. As the Bible says, Abraham stretched forth his hand with the knife to offer his son, and a ram is caught in the thicket instead, and they offer that ram right there. It's not Isaac that's going to be offered. There is a substitution provided so that Abraham does not have to offer his son. The Passover lamb in Egypt. Sprinkle the blood on the, on the doorpost. Sprinkle all of that. There is a substitution for the sin of the people. The offering of the blood of bulls and goats in the tabernacle and then in the, tem- in the temple was all substitutionary regarding the sin of people and something else dying for them. And now when Paul says, Christ died for our sins. He links not only Christ to all of the messianic prophecies, he links him to all of the Old Testament sacrifices. All of those shadows of things that were to come are now fulfilled here. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, is the premier writing on the Messiah's death for the sin of man. It starts toward the end of chapter 52 and carries through about 53, 12. It's the premier prophecy, and it happened around 675 B.C., 700 years before Christ. Isaiah is talking about Christ's atonement. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. According to the Scriptures, it's not added here, but we can see it bookending. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Christ was raised in accordance with the Scripture. So is Christ's burial according to the Scripture? You betcha. I spent so much time researching and looking at different connective tissue in God's word on these topics this past week. It was beautiful. It's not mentioned here, buried according to the scripture, but along with Isaiah 53 comes verse 9. I'm going to turn back to it if I don't spill my coffee. I didn't prepare to turn back to it, but it's so cool I want to. Isaiah chapter 53, you don't have to go there. I'll do it quickly. Isaiah chapter 53, talking about the death of Christ, the Messiah, right? They didn't know it was going to be Jesus by name. They knew there was going to be a Messiah. We know the Messiah as Jesus by name. Isaiah 53, 9, the prophet says, And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit found in him. They show him, made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. You know what happens all of a sudden? 700 years, 650 years later, you know what happens? Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19 all talk about Christ being taken off the cross, placed into a grave where no one had ever been buried because a rich man bought it and wanted to take care of his body. So the burial happens also according to the scripture. Christ died for our sins. Christ is buried. Christ rose on the third day according to the scriptures. This will be all of Paul's argument through the rest of chapter 15. Historical agreement in the Christian faith sees resurrection in the Old Testament. Throughout the history of our faith, people agree resurrection is a theme in the Old Testament. 
in 1 Kings 17 with the prophet Elijah and 2 Kings 4 with the prophet Elisha, they both raise a dead boy to life. So resurrection even happens in the Old Testament. Specific agreement on Psalm 16 and 22, Isaiah 53 and Daniel 12, throughout all of Christian faith history, people have agreed for all time that those four passages speak to Messiah's resurrection. Messiah will come and die for the people. Messiah will be buried. Messiah will rise again on the third day, according to the scripture. Paul reaches back and says, it's been prophesied. I don't know why you're not believing the evidence in front of you, but here's the evidence in front of you. It's been prophesied since long ago. Christ rose on the third day, according to the scripture. Man, people don't want to believe it. People don't like believing the resurrection. And why? Well, because we don't believe that anyone can rise from the dead. None of us have ever seen it. No one's ever come back from the dead. I don't believe that can happen. Well, the thing is, after Christ rose, and I made this point Friday night, it was a little bit of a warm-up for this morning's sermon. To be honest with you, I had Friday night's Christmas Eve message and this swirling around in my head It says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried, rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and then verse 5 goes on and says, Christ appeared. I I said Friday, and some laughed, and I meant it. We're still trying to figure out who shot JFK. Like, nobody knows who did it. If you've never been there, I've stood on the grassy knoll, no one has a clue who did it. And you're going to, oh, yes, we do. No, we don't. No one has a clue. You know how many people watched him get shot in the head? And no one has a clue who did it. Are you kidding me? But we're convinced it was this. This happened. Do you understand that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has more eyewitness evidence than many great historical things that were just like, oh, absolutely. That, 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 that absolutely happened. Nobody really knew who shot Abraham Lincoln until the news came out. They thought they saw the man that fell from the booth after shooting him. That looked a lot like John Wilkes Booth. But they had to go after him and find out if it was him because all the eyewitnesses that were there were like, oh, we're not really sure what happened. The Bible tells us, happens right here, Christ appeared. First of all, major and very important fact, Christ did not rise from the grave as a spirit. Christ came out of the grave physically, in bodily form, and was viewed in bodily form. And we have in the account of Luke chapter 24 and John chapter 21, the Lord Christ, after his resurrection, eating food with the, with the apostles, with the disciples, he says, touch my hand, see that I am flesh, put your hand in my side where that spear stabbed me before I died. I am alive again. John says, he appeared to them three times. Luke says in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. Look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 15. That he appeared first to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the 12, all the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. People are like, why would you believe the gospel? Because people have been spilling their blood for this testimony since the day that it happened. And I choose to believe those who give their life for things. The Lord Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to many. 
More than 500 witnesses over a period of 40 days. This is not your random, typical Elvis sighting. Oh, Elvis isn't dead. Yes, he is. Jesus Christ, the Lord, the returning King, is alive forevermore. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most pivotal moment in all of human history. Paul goes on here to talk how through the gospel... God frees us from a sinful past for his work and for his glory. He says, I consider myself, look at what he says, I am the least of all the apostles. He says in another place, I'm the chief and foremost of sinners. Like Paul had a proper view of himself before God. I'm a sinner. I am low before God. Though considering himself unworthy to be used by God, Paul directs our attention to God's grace. Look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Is God's grace toward you this morning in vain? Are you what you are by God's grace? Have you truly received the grace of God in your life? How are we saved according to the mercy of God by his grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true gospel. Christ died for our sins. You know why that point's in there? Because you can't come to Christ without recognizing that you are a sinner. You have a need in your life. Any person who's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but all that sin stuff. No, I'm sorry, that's a false gospel. I don't know where you heard that. I don't know, but your life is in great danger right now because you are a sinner before a holy God. And if you die believing that you're not a sinner and stand before God, you've made him out to be a liar and he's not and he will condemn you to eternal punishment. I was so pumped to preach this the day after Christmas. You understand the gospel, it needs words. The gospel has to be understood. Yeah, I, I'm saved, but I don't quite get it. No, God has made it for you to get. He's given us his word. You can understand the work that he has done for you. Christ died according to the scriptures for our sin. He was buried. Rose again third day for our sin. Rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Appeared. Have you believed the gospel? Like I know everybody's sitting in the room. So I'm asking this question and I know what you've said to me. I literally, looking around, I know every single one of you in your profession of faith. And so right now I ask, have you believed the gospel? Christ died for your sin. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to many. He is returning. Have you believed that through genuine belief, as it is preached and received, we stand upon it. It is actively saving us. How can we apply today? Like, how, what, what do we take away from today? Pastor, that's great. You've said a whole bunch of stuff that I already know, so what does it mean for me? It's specific. I guess if there's one thing that I could have you take away, it's that the gospel is very specific news. It's not a flippant, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you go to church? Drill down a little farther than that. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Tell me about that. What's that mean for you? What's the, you have, you have a testimony? Like, can you, can you tell me the gospel? Like, your best way, can you tell me the gospel? Why? Because what does somebody need to include, right? So I sit with people, and there are people in this room who've been baptized recently. I sit with them, and I'm like, can you tell me about the gospel? And the first response is, oh, 
I'm like, just to the best of your ability, tell me about the gospel. Well, I believe that I'm a sinner. Christ died for me. Christ died for our sin. Okay, what else? I believe you rose again on the third day. Oh, good, good. What else? I'm doing everything I can to live according to his word, which isn't necessarily in this passage, but bingo, that's where we need to be getting to. Believing that I am a sinner and only Christ can save me, I cast my faith and my hope and my trust for eternity on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Do you believe that Christ died for your sins? Do you believe that God raised from the dead? Jesus Christ the Lord, because Romans 10.9 tells us, and we love to quote it all the time, perhaps without understanding the fullness of what's being said, that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Do you understand the specificity, the specific nature of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is foundational. Has the gospel set you free from a sinful past? Are you truly walking by God's grace and his purpose in your life? Or is the gospel simply something that was great and good once, but not active now? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most pivotal moment in all of human history. You understand, as we read this, we're not just reading stories. Paul is saying to us, I saw Jesus, alive. The gospel, indeed all of our faith, hangs on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning next week, we will examine that even further. For now, I will pray. We'll receive the Lord's Supper. We'll worship. Go on to your various family gatherings and things that will happen all throughout this week into a new year. But go with this. The gospel is specific and we must know it. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in life, in death, and in resurrection. And we look forward, we don't talk about it enough, but we look forward in great anticipation to when our eyes will see our Lord and Savior. Lord, come quickly. We enjoy this life that you've given us, God. But Father, help us to desire that literal, physical, tangible union with the one who spilled his blood for the salvation of our soul for all eternity. Jesus, come quickly and take us that we may be where you are. We come to you in this moment to observe the supper which you said resembles your body broken, your blood spilled, that terrible, marvelous work on the cross of Calvary. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for what you endured. For the joy sent before you, you despised the shame and endured the cross. And you did that not just with me, not just with those in the room, but for man. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. We praise you that you have made a way for us to come to the Father. And we pray, God, that in this moment, those in this room that will receive this communion supper, 
God, that we will do it understanding the gospel, believing genuinely, holding fast, not believing in vain the work that you have done. Be honored as we worship and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.